Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we give the environmental, social, and governance analytical take on the news. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week we are discussing whether CEOs should be the focus of campaigns for social change. Then we discuss L Brand's fall from grace. By the way, uh, we swear once or twice in this episode, if you're listening to it out loud with kids, be warned. And I don't have the skills to bleep it, so it's out there. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. On an earlier episode of this podcast, we have quickly discussed the investor take on the decision by Salesforce to de-platform companies selling assault rifles. But this week, Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times Deal Book wrote an article directly calling on Doug McMillan, the Walmart president and chief executive, to use his store's position to address the gun violence in the United States. You singularly, he writes, have a greater chance to use your role as the chief executive of the country's largest retailer and largest seller of guns with greater sway over the entire ecosystem that controls gun sales in the United States than any other individual in corporate America, end quote. Snorkin goes on to ask McMillan to use his position as Walmart CEO to coordinate with other CEOs like Tim Cook and Jamie Damon and fix a problem the United States political system seems incapable of addressing. So quickly, our stack card for Walmart, it is rated a double B, and the Walton family owns about 51% of its shares. So that, along with some other problems, give them a low governance rating. But it also means if the CEO makes a move and the Walton support it, there isn't much anyone else can do to stop them. And while journalists are different than shareholders, the call by the New York Times got us to thinking, how should investors view a direct call on a CEO to change company? Many ESG investors offer the ability to screen out companies that sell weaponry, but should investors instead just gang up on CEOs and not the company as a whole to address the societal ill? So, Rick, as our governance expert, I thought you could start us off. What do you think about going after the CEOs to enact change? I think it makes perfect sense to write CEO because they're they are in America, whether they're widely held or or controlled, the CEO is the company. Um, and it's not so much that the CEO has the power to make the decision. They have the power to make the decision to a degree, but it's going to be, it's going to be reviewed by the board as well. And that, that dialogue has to happen. But the entry point to, to something this big, this important, has got to be the CEO. So yeah, I think that's the appropriate place to start, the appropriate place to write. Particularly if you're if you're trying to do it in the court of public opinion, and, and clearly a journalist, that's the world they they live yeah. in. Important thing about going this route, as opposed to elections and expecting Congress to do something, or even relying on the court's interpretation of the law, um, the corporate route doesn't require that a particular product or service be banned. You know, the 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 uh, attack on the 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 attack on the the tobacco industry that was so effective and the the subsequent regulations that have been passed uh limiting where people can smoke and so on have not banned tobacco products i'm wondering with 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 guns whether or not 
it go, like what to what level this goes like if there is a social cause that coalesces around it do you see a government movement like attorney general style movement like tobacco and opioids that targets both the manufacturers and the distributors is it just the distributors who are at risk here if there's a movement against it is it uh, and then there's the, this whole like ceo angle like what is the role of the ceo to sort of mediate or navigate the social issue here are they the source of change now and it's not the attorney general like that's the fascinating part going forward to me well it's interesting that you both mentioned tobacco and opioids because i think guns are much different than either of those issues because the thing is is i can still own a gun and you'll never know about it you will never know about it i never bring it outside I can have a shit ton in my house, and you will never know. I go to a bar. I'm not bringing my gun with me, but all of a sudden I lose my mind, and those guns become very public. That's the difference here, and I think the difference between the tobacco industry and the gun industry is the gun industry is a much more private enterprise until it becomes very public, whereas the tobacco industry it was extremely public. One of the big things that got tobacco in trouble was secondhand smoke. That was one of the big things that got it banned from restaurants. And I can immediately smell tobacco on you if you've been smoking, so it's easy for me to single you out of a crowd. I think there needs to be something much different for investors wanting to address company collaboration with gun violence. And maybe naming and shaming CEOs is the last and best refuge for investors that are fed up with a deadlocked political system. But opi- but opioids is a private thing, and they're going through the same thing. I Actually, the point I would disagree with is... For Andrew Ross Sorkin to write to, you know, the CEO of Walmart, basically pleading for policy change for investors to kind of um, be a central point of action, I think is 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 fine. I don't have a problem writing letters to CEO, but the historical precedent suggests that it's it's not Congress. It's attorneys general. They sue the shit out of companies until it's hard to do that business. That is the historical precedent. I'm wondering, like, you're even seeing it with climate change, right? The New York Attorney General sued Exxon for not disclosing the risk of climate, right? They're trying that same method with something like climate change and carbon as they did with tobacco, as they did with opioids. That strikes me as the precedent, which is why it's so interesting to me that people are pleading with the CEOs to set policy when the sea change historically has not been CEOs. It's been forced by litigation. And it's not usually legislation. It's usually litigation that forces the hand. And then the social movement along with that, you know? Yeah, it'd be interesting if a letter like this was instead of actually calling the CEO to action, but it was just like blood in the water for the attorneys general to say, here, here's the bruise you can push. Here's where you can squeeze to get gun legislation done. Um, which makes me, Which makes me wonder if, if has there ever been an investor group that has used a letter like this to actually lobby an attorney's general to try to sue the company they own? They were this like nihilistic investor group that just wanted to watch the company burn. And so they bought shares and then started to try to court some sort of a legislator to go after the company. Well, not as investors in the company. They're not going to, I mean, would you be invested in a company and then lobby an attorney general Engagement. to sue your company? Aggressive, lawful engagement. You would in, you would engage the company if if you believe that long term value will be will be higher if Walmart. I mean that's the question for Walmart and the Walmart board. That's the question. That's, that's the, it. the 
That's the question. The question is, will Walmart as a company be better off if it stops, if it takes itself out of this whole issue and stops selling guns altogether? It will lose some customers. It will lose some because they won't be able to buy guns there. It will lose some because they'll be angry that Walmart has taken that choice away from them. At least that's how they'll see it. But they will gain other customers. And most importantly, from again, from a business perspective, they will open up um, square footage in every store that will no longer be required to market, sell and market guns and related goods. And they'll put something new in there, and it may be a higher margin, higher demand, faster growth. Those are the decisions that the board is going to be making. Those are the decisions that the CEO and management are going to be making. And they have to make those decisions. They have to juggle those things because if they don't, the company won't survive. So for our second story, the Wall Street Journal reported that Ed Razik, the chief marketing officer of L Brands, is retiring, which further complicates the once-dominant retail group and adds turmoil to the famous L Brands subsidiary Victoria's Secret. And though the reasons for Razik's departure are, are unclear, Victoria's Secret, which he headed the marketing for, is struggling to find its place in the Me Too era and the changing retail marketplace. And Razik was recently embroiled in controversy after making insensitive remarks about transgender models after the now-canceled Victoria's Secret fashion show. So our L Brand stack card gives the company a double B due to issues with privacy and data security, supply chain, labor standards, and chemical safety. But what this story is really about is companies, especially retail companies, inability to adjust to the changing times. From my vantage point, I would say, hey, if you sell products and and you market to a diverse cohort, you might want some more diversity on your team. And while L Brand's board is 40% non-male, it doesn't seem the company has many women in places of power directing the company's branding, for example. So to discuss this issue of representation, I got a couple of my favorite white boys together, Rick and Matt, and I ask you both, can companies in the retail consumer discretionary sector survive without a strong culture of diverse employees? The short answer is um, in 2019 to have, um, to, to be sort of courting a a cohort, a consumer cohort with none of that cohort actually as part of the strategic decision making of your company is not really just short sighted. It's like the market sort of moved beyond that, the consumer market, Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, if you're targeting a, a, a racial demographic, a gender demographic, and there are no representatives from that demographic who are part of the decision-making yeah. process, yep. who understand at least in some level what that demographic wants. It's the case for diversity. It's why we talk about diversity on the board. It's about talent utilization. It's about, you know, you, you have to, you know, th- think outside of one context. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I called up a friend last night who works at L'Oreal to get her take on the issue. And she was telling me about how Victoria's Secret in its day was pretty revolutionary and that it offered some excitement to the shopping experience. Victoria's Secret had colors and it was flashy and uh, it was much different than the drab experience before. But now Victoria's Secret has to deal with companies that 
uh, offer that type of stuff, but they're also socially conscious. They make a comfortable product. They have um, adapted to the different retail market by offering different shopping experiences. And if you're a company like Victoria's Secret that is focused on getting consumers to shop for your products, you're going to miss out on these new markets unless you're actively on Instagram, for example, or you're reading blogs written by the youth, which I doubt Razik was doing. And now it's all about authenticity, and it's about not offering this overly sexualized, fake, um, fantastical ideology, and it means embracing something unknown in the corporate boardroom, right, which might be scary for some of these old hat companies. If they don't adapt in that way, if they don't figure out how to embrace an uncertain future by embracing a degree of uncertainty in how they've organized the company, then they will end up being eaten alive by the new entrepreneurial firms that are that are coming along, uh, which I would also hasten to point out are are still dominated by men because women are still struggling to access the capital needed to build new empires. Management that is a reflection of of its consumers, as Matt was saying, um, companies that don't that don't embrace that are are just they're not going to survive. And they, they might not even be able to know if something is the right move because it might be the right move, but it's not a profitable move in the short term, but it protects your company image. To go back to what my friend was saying, she noted that when any uh, makeup group now launches a foundation series, they have to launch 40 shades of that foundation because there's a diverse set of skin tones that need to be accounted for, yet they really only sell like 20 of those, like half. So you have these... 20 unsold colors that are going to sit in storage and cost the company money, but you still have to offer those 40 shades. And if you're outside of the zeitgeist, or let's say you're a man and you don't wear foundation, you're going to miss that extremely important detail, and you're going to lose customers because of that. The definition of business sense has changed. That's the key. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think, so earlier this year, right, there was a report that Beyonce walked out of a a meeting with Reebok when, um, I mean, there uh, uh, there was a writer who basically reported that she walked into a meeting with Reebok, they gave her a pitch, and she said, is this the team that would work on my, on, with me? And it was an all white team. And she walked out after saying, none of you represent my my background, my race, my my experience. Now, Reebok denied it. Right. Like, so I'm not sure what actually happened. Reebok said there were several months and she ended up signing with Adidas, who is the who's the parent of Reebok anyway. Mm. But the fact is, it got picked up in social media and went viral fast because that's what consumers want. They want to think that their the products that they use and the companies that they buy from represent them in some way. And that I think is what Rick's talking about. That's a massive change because 20 years ago, I don't think people thought of corporations that way or products that way, but today they definitely do. And and it's, you know, we hear arguments about like, why should, you know, against, you know, women on boards, like, why do we think this is, how do we show that having more women on boards is material? And a friend of mine said to me the other day, like how, you know, show me, why do we think that having more men on a board is is financially <laughs> material? And it's true. It's kind of like, you know, in the, in, in modern society, what's material actually changes it, 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 it 
it's it's an organic thing because if the consumer decides that it matters to them what their company looks like as much as what the product does for them then they won't buy from some companies and they will buy from others where 20 years ago it might have been different. So you can't apply the same kind of analysis that you did where no one cared that it was all white men 30 years ago and now they now they do. You can't just you can't just say, well no one cared before, so why should they care now? Could you give some examples where the necessity for diversity is pushing into shareholder resolutions where companies are now um, getting asked by shareholders to have better representation um, I guess in the boardroom? And I say in the boardroom because, to be completely honest, it is difficult. It, the data still is not available to show, I think, maybe the more important stat, which is how many women are in managerial positions, middle managers, uh, what kind of um, profit and loss sectors are they actually involved in. So it's kind of like we have to use the boardroom as a semi-proxy. I mean, we're seeing it. There, the, the, I mean, just if you're using just gender as a lens, right? I mean, the... There, there are pension funds who are effectively saying, you know, we, you know, California is passing a law and the pension funds are effectively saying you have to have a woman on your board. I'm sorry. The days when you could have none is are dead. 30 years ago, if a guy like me had an idea for a business to create products to sell to, let's say my, my 30 something daughter, I would have collected some of my friends, my peers, and said, let's start a company and we'll sell to to my daughter and her friends. And that's what we would have done. And that's how we would have been organized. If I were doing it today, there's no way I would go to my friends to create Mm -hmm. something like that. I would go to my daughter and her friends (laughs) and partner with them because they know what they want. I don't know. My friends don't know. We may, we may have the capital to get it started, but we have no idea where to take it. That's it for the week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Rick and Matt for joining me to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist. We're here every week. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. Thanks again for being here and talk to you next week. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is 
and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.